This is a News Laundry podcast and you're listening to Reporters Without Orders. Order, order. Hello and welcome to Reporters Without Orders, a podcast where we talk about what made news, what didn't and some things that absolutely shouldn't have. I'm your host, Akansha Kumar. And joining me in the studio here in Delhi, I have with me my colleague Tanishka Sodi. Hi, Tanishka. Hi. Joining us from Bangalore, we have Prajwal Bhatt, who is a reporter with the News Minute. Hi, Prajwal. Hi, thank you for having me on the podcast. A day after an ad by Fab India caught everybody's attention, uh, where they launched their new collection titled Jashne Rivaz, a tweet which didn't go down well with some of the BJP leaders and supporters who saw the tweet as Islamization of a Hindu festival, that of Diwali. Here we are yet again discussing two ground reports by Tanishka who went to Gurugram and Prajwal who has recently returned from Belagavi district in Karnataka to understand how the religious divide is playing out on the ground at the behest of some fringe outfits. They are no longer fringe anymore. In fact, they are influencing daily lives of people. They are brainwashing people and that is out in the open. I'll begin with you uh, first, Tanishka. You went to Sector 47 Gurugram last week and residents there, they have been protesting for the last few weeks demanding that the administration remove uh, the Muslims who congregate there at an open space to offer the Friday prayers every week. Uh, Now, tell me something. Firstly, who are these protesters and how legit are their demands as far as seeking an alternate uh, site is concerned? And I'll come to you, but before we uh, go to Tanishka, I'll just play out her ground report for our listeners. So, Tanishka, who are these people and why are they protesting? So the day I went, there were about, um, I think, 40 to 50 of these protesters. A lot of them were and claimed to be local residents, residents of Sector 47. But um, this is the fourth consecutive week that these protests have been happening. And there is this Hindu group called Bharat Mata Vahini. They have also been uh, leading the protest. Um, Dinesh Bharti, who is known for his um, inflammatory speeches, he wasn't present here that day, but he was arrested um, in April for a similar protest protest in Gurgaon. So all of them I spoke to, they have uh, a number of problems uh, with the open namaz being conducted. Starting with, they say that um, they don't feel safe in the spot. They say that it's not just about the 15 minutes that they conduct the namaz. It is after namaz, according to them, um, these people have been loitering around. Um, Somebody actually told me they have been peeping into people's houses. Uh, When I asked her if she knew of any such cases, she didn't seem to know any. But 
So they claim that they feel unsafe and um, they are very confident that these are not local residents. And they were asking us, the media and the police, because they were not allowed near the people offering namaz to check their IDs. Um, they were not just saying that check their IDs because they're not local residents, but also the fact that, hey, we don't think they're Indians or they belong here Um check who they are. You know, somebody told me about how um, there was a terrorist who was caught in the city a few days ago after living in the city for 15 years. So these people could also very well be terrorists. And according to them, they are going to encroach the land. So in 2018, there were a number of um, protests in Gurgaon, uh, a lot of sectors against the open namaz being conducted which was also led by um, Hindu groups. And after that, there was a lot of controversies. There were six people arrested that the administration uh, put out 37 designated spots in Gurgaon for open namaz to be conducted on Friday. But um, these people are now claiming that this is not legal and this should be stopped and they should uh, do namaz in the masjid, despite the fact that there are very few masjids in Gurgaon. And is there any merit to the allegations when, you know, these protesters, they told you also that these are outsiders who are allegedly involved in Eve teasing and they are uh, rabble rousers. They're trying to create nuisance uh, here. Has there been any complaint of this sort? And also, this is among uh, one of those 47 designated spots which was decided by the administration in 2018. Could you also understand what was the build-up like? Like how did these protests actually happen when two, three years ago it was already decided that this is the place where local Muslims can come and offer prayers? Then what are they angry about? Right. Um, so there haven't been any complaints as far as I know. And according to the police inspector, I did have a conversation with who also said that it is legal what is happening right now. So uh, in 2018, when those 37 spots were decided, um, these protesters are now saying that the permission was given for these spots just for one day, which is something they haven't mentioned until um, just a couple of days ago. So the inspector said he is not aware of whether it was really just for a day and they're going to look into it. But um, as far as I know, and there, have, there were several media reports of 2018 when this issue really gained prominence. So um, it seems to be uh, legal as such. Uh, so after 2018, it was relatively peaceful for a while. Um, but then uh, when COVID happened, you know, they weren't going out to perform namaz on Friday. In April, I don't know what happened, but um, it suddenly started again. And they also said that that spot, uh, it's an empty parking lot, but it belongs to Huda, the government. And a market is supposed to be built there, according to the residents. So they say that if they continue to conduct namaz over here, here the market won't be built but that is a separate issue and um, the namaz being offered on Friday is not really going to affect that. And tell me something Tanishka because you spent like a day with these protesters right. you also interacted with the locals who have been coming uh, there for the last uh, three years. What is the contrast you see between the protester let's say what was it interacting with uh, Khushi Chaudhary a 24-year-old teacher who believes in the concept of ghettoization, who uh, actually suggests that this is not their place, this is not where uh, they are supposed to be. And, you know, Gurgaon is supposed to be that very cosmopolitan space in NCR region where a protest like this 
you know, agitation saying and telling minorities not to conduct prayers should surprise. It is surprising and it is shocking. What is the demography of these protesters like and what is their motivation uh, to hit the streets? Why do they see Muslims as the other? Is it a class-related thing? What was your observation? Right. So, like you very rightly said at the start of the podcast, this is not the fringe anymore. This is very well the majority and um, this sort of sentiment, it's not as uncommon as we think it is because the people I did interact with who came for the protest, a lot of them were elderly people, but there were also young people, people like Khushi Chaudhary, who is my age. And um, I initially thought she was a reporter because she didn't really fit into um, what everyone else was looking and speaking like. But she was very determined about her stance about how she feels unsafe and even of the way she was speaking about like these people you know they do this and this is not a village and um, there is a very clear stark difference between the people who were protesting and the people who were doing namaz over there. And it was actually uh, very overwhelming to sort of be there because the namaz was happening just a few meters away and there was a lot of police. But at one point, the protesters got agitated, you know. This time they actually came with speakers and, you know, they were singing patriotic songs or devotional songs and they started marching towards the spot where namaz was being conducted. And the police had to, at one point, even physically stop them from doing that. And uh, they are determined that they will return every Friday and they will keep coming back until they get what they want, you know. And a lot of them said that, hey, why can't they do this in their spaces, in their mosques or in their homes? Why do they have to come to our places? But um, like the people who were conducting namaz did explain that there are very few places that they can go to offer their prayers and it's only on Fridays and Eid that they do go. And um, someone told me this line, I don't think I mentioned it in the report, is that this whole act of coming and singing the national anthem or singing, uh, you know, patriotic songs. It's to sort of link their religion to Indianness and then um, making the Muslim seem as the other, you know, they have to justify who they are in this country. And he was also talking about how it's not just this stance, it's the past few years of so much pressure of having to justify or hide that identity. And I don't know how they managed to uh, complete their prayers when there was so much chaos, so many um, hateful things being said against them just a few meters away. So so that's sort of what it was like. And uh, again, it shouldn't uh, surprise anyone that the Hindutva group, Sanyukt Hindu Sangharsh Samiti, uh, which is uh, behind these protests in Guru Gram, uh, they also had a role to play when, you know, those uh, anti-Muslim chants were heard at Jantar Mantar uh, in August this year. Tell us how do these uh, groups, uh, you know, prepare ground uh, for such protests solely on the basis of religion? Does social media play a role? Uh, do they have that kind of network in terms of volunteers on the ground who are trying to influence people and trying to infuse this idea of us, us versus them? Like, what do you think? Um, so, like you said, it's it's volunteers that really drive this whole thing. Uh, most of these people were working people with jobs, with lives. It's not like this was all that they wanted to do. And even in a couple of reports I've done in the past where I've interacted with right-wing groups like these, 
it's out of pure devotion and faith and dedication to their religion they feel like they are doing a good thing by protecting their religion their country you know they take time out of their busy schedules to coordinate to manage this and um social media like you said it plays a really big role in sort of mobilizing them you know that's how they understand what's happening and they all gather in fact on friday they said that you know this is not going to do just people of sector 47 can't be here next time let's call people of all sectors let's together come here let's see what the police can do then so that's what the sentiment is like and how is police uh, trying to resolve the issue what has the response been like as far as the political class is concerned and i ask this question because the ramification of such a protest or a sit in from a place like gurgaon will have long lasting ramifications as far as the entire delhi ncr region and neighboring states are concerned we recently witnessed a similar protest uh, by residents in delhi's dwarka when there was a proposal to construct a house uh, there and they were opposed to it saying that no you cannot have this community center here do you think that there is some political motivation behind this as well definitely and i think um, again the whole all the political motivations are so directly linked to religion that you can't really separate them anyway and like you said there have been many incidences even in gurgaon just a few weeks ago the meat shops were made to shut down during navratri and another point is that how we were talking about social media um, so i put up a video when the protest started of these people and their slogans and um, initially uh, people who were condemning the protest were retweeting it and then at one point it caught the attention of these hindu nationalists and they were all so proud you know and they were like this is inspiring we all need to do this we all need to be inspired by these residents of gurgaon sector 47 and we need to gather in our own places and you know make these people go away so it's a very divided sort of situation and there are some people who are otherwise somewhat rational that do feel that open namaz should not be conducted or any sort of religious activity should not be conducted in the open um but then again this is something that dates back to you know when the religion started it is not really our place to speak about the customs that they are conducting and like again it's 15 minutes it's really not all that big a deal i don't think it's just the act of the 15 minutes it is this idea that they have in their head that you know they are going to take over or yeah. the population and this is going to become that sector soon there are going to be more mosques and um they are going to be everywhere so this whole otherness and this whole idea of they is very much present and i think like we've seen over the past few years it's a very fine line between hate speech and hate crime so uh, even this escalate i think it could have escalated a lot more um i was asking the inspector why there was so much security there were at least like 30 to 40 cops that day and he said that even if one person says something that is very inflammatory it can cause a lot of problems i mean i think it could have led to riots if you know there are people who do say things that it was a mob so you can't control a mob so you're saying they managed it pretty well they did that day they did because uh, last friday uh, it didn't go all that well and that is when they had to shift the namaz spot to 150 meters away from where they originally conduct namaz which is where it happened when i went this friday too but i think they sort of learned from last friday and now they 
they just you know heavy security was deployed and uh, the police and the local administration have been having talks with the citizens which includes the muslims who are very much residents of gurgaon of different sectors so they have been having talks to either find a new spot or to sort of control the situation in some way so that is going on right now and uh, the latest development in the story as uh, reported by the indian express today is that the deputy commissioner has uh, given an assurance to these representatives of gurgaon nagrik ekta right. much that they are trying to sort out this uh, uh, you know problem and uh, therefore they have decided to defer the protest by another two weeks right uh, but uh, you know my final question to you uh, tanishka is that uh, this is a common uh, sort of refrain among reporters who try to understand this religious divide or religious fault lines which have uh, come to the fore like never before after 2014 that it leaves you drained as a reporter you are not able to make sense of why this is happening in a country like india that stands for secularism that prides itself on people from different communities uh, living under uh, you know one umbrella what is uh, like when you return from you know by after talking to people what is your uh, sort of personal takeaway like what do you make of these people how did we come here you know uh, like we've discussed this this is not the fringe in fact i think there are people who would join them who are part of our whatsapp groups a lot of uncles and aunties um who very strongly believe in things like this and um i don't think it's as much of a surprise as it should be which is also alarming that this is not surprising because i think the build up has been steady over the past few years over the past few months incidents like this have been uh, happening and also being reported in the media or at least some sections of the media so we have been aware that these kind of sentiments are rising i don't know what is going to lead to but um, at the protest talking to them um, you know as a reporter you try to be completely unbiased when you go into a situation but it's hard to take in what they're saying without having any feelings towards it you know when you can see what the consequences of some such sort of thoughts and such sort of strong feelings are going to be like it's hard to be unbiased as such when you're on the spot but uh, i think we try right and i think what is baffling to me is the sheer ignorance of people especially from the upper middle class yeah. who refuse to acknowledge that there is a sense of fear that percolates right uh, to the bottom that there are muslims who are deprived of their livelihoods every time such incidents happen prajwal uh, would you also agree with that and do you have any questions uh, for tanishka so i just want to understand from tanishka that uh, you know uh, you met the crowd there right did you feel that you know there are enough young people who are resisting this or is it that the majority are protesting vociferously against it um so there were more of older people present over there but um after a point a lot of these young people came who i think were part of some right wing group who were uh, very angry and i think the kind of determination and the kind of their young blood <laughs> is so much scarier because you never know when things are going to escalate and i think as we've often seen on social media also unless like when we're in a bubble it feels like it is like our age group or our demography is somewhat 
um more tolerant or more respectful towards things like this but you know beyond that bubble i think that's really not the case uh, there are a lot of people who are strong supporters of these kind of protests and um are very very eager to join them and escalate things so yeah yeah it seems to be a pattern that's going from delhi gurgaon and even in karnataka in the last 6 months at least we've been, we've been having similar cases in karnataka right so that brings us to our second segment in which uh, we will discuss the ground reports done by prajwal recently from uh, karnataka's uh, belagavi district so prajwal uh, before i come uh, to you i would just like to play out uh, you know a recent video appeal it's a contribution appeal done by prajwal for the news minute uh, which actually gives you a glimpse into what has uh, happened in belagavi district and how even the ghastly murder of journalist gauri lankesh had its links with the same district but perhaps uh, north karnataka didn't get so much attention like this before i've just returned from belagavi in northern karnataka and i've been reporting for the last 3 days on the death of arbaz a 24 year old man whose body was found dismembered 9 days ago his family say that the incident was linked to his relationship with a hindu woman now we've done several stories on this you can read the stories on the news minute i met the members of the family his mother nazima his cousins his close friends and they say that there has been no support extended to them in this time of crisis politicians have not spoken up about this case opposition leaders even in parties that value justice that value secularism have stayed away from speaking up about this case so uh, prajwal it's a very uh, gruesome you know crime story where dismembered body of a 24 year old uh, boy arbaz was found near the railway tracks in khanapur town in belagavi district and days later it emerges that uh, he was targeted of being into a relationship with a hindu girl and now it has been established that it was actually the parents of arbaz's girlfriend who had hired uh, contract killers with links uh, to this outfit called shri ram sena who had uh, you know planned this out they even tried to first strike a deal they also tried to arrive at a settlement which didn't happen and therefore they decided to kill arbaz my first question is what was your interaction like uh, with arbaz family and were there any sort of threats before uh, which they ignored and was there any intimidation from the shriram sena earlier uh, what was you know your experience of interacting with them firstly um, i just want to make one small thing that it's the shriram sena hindustan they are a breakaway group from tamur mutalik's uh, shriram sena they were the ones uh, behind this attack seven members from their group have been arrested but regardless of the fact that they are called shriram sena hindustan many of the members are those who are from the shriram sena itself uh, in belagavi so the first thing is that uh, his mother nazima uh, says that she knew about the interfaith relationship for a year and many people close to arbaz and the uh, uh, hindu woman had urged the couple to break off this relationship repeatedly now this got to the point where his mother found out that arbaz is being threatened and blackmailed by fanatics of the shri ram sena hindustan so this was in september 26th 
that is two days before uh, arbaz's dismembered body was found near the railway tracks in kanapur so there was actually a meeting between the members of the shriram sena hindustan and arbaz and his mother so arbaz and his mother went from bergavi to kanapur to meet two members of the shriram sena hindustan and in this meeting they not only pressured him into ending his relationship but they also asked him to pay a settlement amount so it was not just about a political ideology or social control it was also plainly about extracting money from arbaz so they asked arbaz to pay a settlement amount to end this chapter or relationship and arbaz initially gave them rupees 7000 and he also sold a car to pay rupees 75000 on the day he was found murdered and all of this comes after the police uh, investigate the case and have arrested the suspects so the family of arbaz say that the relationship between arbaz and the hindu woman was public knowledge in kanapur for more than a year and this is established by many people close to arbaz his friends say that uh, they were in a loving relationship for the longest time and after it became public knowledge is when they felt the pressure from different people to stop seeing each other and break off the relationship and in spite of that that the couple refused and resisted for a long time but it was in september to uh, at, at least towards the end of september that things got to the point where the shriram sena hindustan members were threatening and blackmailing arbaz and what explains the silence of political class uh, why is there no support uh, from local politicians uh, for arbaz's family what is the like uh, political scenario like uh, in a district like uh, belagavi um to explain why there was such a silence around this case i think we need to look at the fact that there is an atmosphere of fear that's been created and it's been built up over the last few years and it's not we will not get here overnight and uh, there were a few representations there was a small protest at the tehsildar's office in kanapur but many congress leaders that i spoke to many leaders the uh, from opposition parties that value you know secularism and value democracy even they were saying that this is a issue for the police to investigate and not for any any of us to uh, get into right now and that was surprising given the ghastly nature of the incident it's a gruesome murder in which a man's body has been discarded on the railway tracks and almost all of the allegations of the family are public knowledge in kanapur they know that this is what the family is saying but it's just that there was silence from the civil society from opposition politicians from the police themselves who took a while to uh, register even the murder case when i first went to belgaum it was there was no murder case registered against the, the accused and it was only after 4 5 days that uh, the police began investigating this as a case of murder and eventually uh, i have to say that the police did arrest the hindu woman's parents and they did arrest seven members of the shriram sena hindustan and another member of the muslim community who was mediating the conversations between uh, arbaz and uh, the shriram sena hindustan members what actually uh, you know struck me in your three ground reports was the fact that you know even as a factional group the shriram sena hindustan the kind of influence it wields in the you know life of uh, regular hindus or majoritarian group uh, the fact that they are so well embedded that you know uh, a family actually looks up to them to resolve an issue which they think is inappropriate in terms of having a relationship 
with a Muslim boy. How did this transition happen? Because uh, like in your recent report, you do explain that uh, Sri Ram Sena was initially founded in 2006. Uh, what has actually happened in the last 14 years that one of its, uh, you know, factions, the Sri Ram Sena Hindustan, is striking deals with, uh, you know, Muslim boys and is uh, going ahead and killing them all in the name of religion. So how has this transition happened? I think you touched upon this earlier in the podcast and even Tanishka touched upon this. I think it's wrong to even call them fringe groups at this point. They may be fringe outfits, but they are committing crimes that benefit a larger political ideology that is not fringe and that is very much in the mainstream now. And to understand the rise of, you know, Hindutva organizations in Karnataka, I think it goes back to the story of Pramod Mutalik himself, who started the Sri Ram Sena in 2006. Now, when he started this, the group's uh, most famous or infamous incident is the pub attack in Mangalore. Now, the Sri Ram Sena was active not only in Belagavi, where Pramod Mutalik is largely based, but also in the coastal regions where there are many supporters of the Hindutva ideology. Now, the pub attack in Mangalore, many of the listeners may be familiar with, was an attack that took place in front of live TV cameras. So Mm. they were not just committing a crime by attacking women inside a pub in Mangalore and claiming that it was because it was not traditional for women to be inside pubs, but they were also making a public spectacle of it. So this sort of revitalized violent Hindutva on the ground in Mangalore. And of course, over the years, many of the members of the Sriram Sene from Mangalore left the organization and that left the organization active in Northern Karnataka regions like Belgaum, Darwad, Hubli. So uh, over the years, the split has been that way that the Sriram Sene has been active in Northern Karnataka and other Hindu, Hindutva organizations like Bajrangdal and Vishwa Hindu Parishad have been active in coastal and southern Karnataka. Now, in this particular region of North Karnataka, there have been many murders that have been linked to, you know, uh, the Sri Ram Seni and other Hindutva organizations, including uh, the Sanatan Sansta, which is from Goa. So, the the murders of uh, the rationalist Narendra Dabolkar, uh, the CPIM leader Govind Pansare, the scholar and academic uh, M.M. Kalburgi, and of course, the murder of the journalist Gavri Lankesh, which was in Bangalore, but the arms training for the murder, uh, the suspect in the case was from the Sri Ram Sena, and he received arms training in Khanapur, in Belgaum. So we see that these groups have been active in the North Karnataka region, but there has never been any sort of push for banning these organizations or curtailing their activities. And you may be surprised that in this case, the parents who are regular parents found murder as an accessible option but it is known from you know others who have reported in the past that Hindutva organizations have run protection rackets by intimidating malls and businesses this is especially in Mangaluru and the journalist Ziringa K. Jha has even written extensively about it in a book so it's not as if we have reached this point overnight It, it has been a slow burn that has been bubbling away for the last few years and this particular fringe outfit, the Sri Ram Sena Hindustan, they broke away from Pramod Mutalik Sri Ram Sena in 2018. And they have openly said that they are working with the police department to stop Hindu 
women from marrying outside their community and this is something that they are not, not even trying to hide and are trying to be brazen about so it is not a surprise that the parents had found this organization and the members of it as an accessible option when they found that their daughter was in an interfaith relationship and uh, another common pattern in all uh, these incidents is that uh, these representatives of the hindutva outfits they often try and assist the police also and they make it as a mission of sorts that you know they have to resolve it somehow and we saw this happening on the ground uh during one of our stories for nl sena project on love jihad where members of the hindu yuva vahini were sitting comfortably in a police station with police officials in sitapur district and they had recently filed a case uh, under the anti conversion uh, ordinance that was passed in november uh, last year and when we asked them that you know what why are you here and uh, they said very comfortably that uh, well we are here to get updates on the case so what was your observation of how the police dealt uh with in this case because even in arbaz's case there was a delay of few days uh before the karnataka police invoked a murder uh you know a, a section related to murder so uh, do you also see that uh, some kind of pressure in terms of the involvement uh, of a hindutva outfit members do they tend to go slow and was it done in a perfectly professional manner so the police themselves admitted that they were a little slow with the investigation but i also want to point out that in this case the police did carry out the investigation and apprehend the suspects now it was complicated by the fact that the shriram sena hindustan members had a sort of a working relationship with the hindu women's parents in that if a murder angle ever emerged the women's parents would surrender themselves and that would be the end of it so they would be okay to break up an interfaith relationship commit murder of a young muslim man and dump all the blame on the parents when it came to taking responsibility but thankfully in this case the police saw through that they did not accept the parents version when they came forward to surrender themselves and investigated the case thoroughly and arrested seven members uh, of the shriram sena hindustan who attacked arbaz that day they 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 doubted the fact that the parents could execute uh, the murder so i would say that in this particular case the police have done a good job but it is known that in belgaum and in coastal karnataka and in other parts of karnataka the state has done little to stop the extrajudicial activities of hindutva groups now there have been many cases reported this year especially in mangalore especially in dakshina kannada and udupi districts where instances of moral policing and these are instances of uh, hindu vigilantism now in these cases most of the times police they do not file cases or they do not encourage the filing of the cases what they do is they try to try to break off the situation and uh, let it slide and not you know make a big deal of it but in fact in many of these cases the victims have insisted that a case should be filed the victims have been brave in many of the occasions and that is why uh we at the news minute and in other uh, and other reporters in mangalore have reported on many cases this year that 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 showed that this is a consistent pattern and this is something that the police should be you know recognizing as a pattern recognizing as a crime and slapping cases 
and one final question prajwal that uh, you know uh, since you talk about this pattern of the emergence of hindutva in north karnataka and the fact that one of the accused in gauri lankesh murder case he received arms training in the very district of khanapur how has been the media reportage like when it comes to reporting incidents like that of arbaz's killing do you also blame uh, the uh, you know uh, sort of certain sections of media turning a blind eye to the rise of such groups which also explains why we continue to witness incidents like this that happened in belagavi yes one thing that i would like to point out is that many papers even national papers had this story in the state section or the local section and it was not given you know due coverage even though the murder angle emerged and it seemed like a ghastly murder based on uh, the ideology of those involved and all for an interfaith having an interfaith relationship so i think one yes the the reportage around these uh, instances should be stronger uh, it should call out the fact that uh, who are the people in, involved and why they are hungry for power and money it should also call out the fact that the police were taking time in this investigation and there was a certain silence that was created around it now another thing i've also noticed is that is that i mean reporters like me who were on ground can also do more to explain what they see not just in terms of reportage but like in this case i attempted to share my observations and my feelings about the case based on what i felt after reporting in belagavi and that is also something that you know we have to try and do as reporters because we realize that there is some sort of moral pressure that that develops if such an incident is not met with the reaction or not met with the adequate response even though it has been many days tanishka would you also like to weigh in and do you have any questions for um, prajwal so prajwal at what point and why did you decide to pursue this story with um like you already followed it up uh, very vigorously so when did you decide and what pushed you towards this um so when i reached so i'm based in bangalore and uh, i decided to go to belgavi to report this uh, simply because of the fact that this story was a case of murder that was not being highlighted as it should be and we knew this because the forensic report in this case showed that the there were injuries on the dead body that that happened before uh, he was discarded on the railway tracks and despite the fact that this emerged and despite the fact that the case was turned into a murder investigation there was a certain sense of i would i would say silence because there was not not a lot of coverage about this incident now many of the papers had chosen to carry this as a small story in the state section and that is why we thought that this is something that needs to be pursued and this is something where we need to find out what really happened if the family is making so many allegations then there must be something that the the police can go on and that 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 is not being highlighted and personally i felt that uh, this is a case that that needs some sort of ground reporting to understand what really happened before uh, arbaz was killed right so uh, i would uh, recommend listeners to read uh, the stories that prajwal has done for the news minute including his uh, analysis of the rise of these hindutva groups in north karnataka where he has tracked the entire timeline of the shri ram sena right from its inception in 2006 
and how it has emerged as threat of sorts in Karnataka and I think even Karnataka is uh, mulling a law on anti-conversion on the lines of Uttar Pradesh, right? Uh, another BJP ruled state or has it been passed already? No, there is pressure being built for such a law and uh, there is another issue that ties into it of, I mean, conversion of uh, scheduled castes to Christians. But uh, if you speak to Hindutva leaders in Karnataka, they will say that a lot of the events that you're seeing play out in the state this year, especially the cases of vigilantism and moral policing, the reason for that is that they want such a law in place. They want a love jihad law in place, or they want an anti-conversion law to be you know, brought in. And many Hindutva leaders have told uh, reporters this week that they're trying to secure a meeting with the chief minister by the end of the week to press this particular demand. And of course, uh, cases like these like that of Arbaz's killing, uh, they use it as a prop to justify uh, their cause as well. And uh, with that, we'll come to our uh, last uh, segment where we share recommendations uh, for our listeners. So Tanishka, would you like to go first? Sure. So this is a breakaway from our entire conversation this one hour. It's a light read on Medium called Punctuation in Novels by Adam J. Calhoun. So he basically imagines um, and shows us what his favorite novels would look like without words. So he's just blacked out the words and it's just punctuations. And it's very interesting to see what that looks like. I think it was a really fun read that you guys should check it out too. Right. And uh, Prajwal, what would be your recommendation? I think I should read something of a lighter theme like that. <laughs> but uh, I've been reading uh, Murder on the Menu. This is, yeah, I know more murder. But this is about the story of the person who founded the Saravana Bhavan. And uh, this traces, this book by Nirupama Subramanian traces that story. So I've been reading that. Sounds gory, but also sounds interesting at the same time. And uh, from my side, I have uh, two recommendations. I've been reading this book uh, off the record by uh, senior journalist Ajit Pillai, uh, who started his journalistic career sometime in the late 80s. And uh, you can actually relate to him the way, you know, we are also scrambling for some lead and we have to submit stories and there are deadlines and, you know, some sometimes we are not interested in a, a story and yet we have to file that report. So uh, that would be first recommendation. And I also happened to finish uh, all the three episodes from Lena Yadav's latest uh, documentary, House of Secrets on Netflix, uh, which focuses on Burari murders um, in 2018, where 11 members of a family were found uh, dead. And uh, one should watch it. It's, it's quite haunting and disturbing, which, but it has been done very sensitively uh, by the director, uh, because at the end of it, it raises some very pertinent issues related to mental health, a conversation that really does not happen uh, in our society. And uh, perhaps this documentary tries to initiate that conversation. So that would be my uh, second uh, recommendation. If you're listening to this podcast on Apple, Stitcher, Google Podcasts or any other podcast platform, head on to newslaundry.com and check our spectacular podcast player. And while you're there, do check our ground reports, videos, interviews and a lot more. And with that, uh, this podcast is adjourned. All the News Laundry podcasts are available on Stitcher, iTunes and any other podcast platform. Please subscribe to News Laundry. Help us keep news independent. 
all our podcasts on news, pop culture, current affairs and sport, visit newslaundry.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram and subscribe to our YouTube channel.